welcome to the State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And our guest today is Hamilton Clancy. Hello, Hamilton. Hi, Garrett. Hey, Jim. Great to be here. Hamilton Clancy has been making theater in and around Manhattan for the last 25 years and is the current and founding artistic director of The Drilling Company, where he oversees both Shakespeare in the parking lot as well as Bryant Park Shakespeare. Free Shakespeare in the Parking Lot is now entering its 22nd season in Lower Manhattan, offering full productions of Shakespeare plays in a parking lot on the Lower East Side. Absolutely. So, Hamilton, this speech you've chosen is from Henry VI, Act Three, Scene Two. Um, why did you choose this speech other than the uh, Shakespeare in the Parking Lot and Richard III's Bones connection? <laughs> it happens to be a speech that I have long been a great fan of. It's hidden in good old Henry VI, Part Three, And I say hidden because uh, you just don't see folks trotting out Henry VI, Part Three very often. And interestingly, you can, uh, in the Ian McKellen, Richard III, um, he interestingly took a good part of this particular speech and added it into uh, the very top of the film. And it's not uncommon when people do productions of Richard III that they extract some part of this speech that they they weave into the now is the winter of our discontent uh, moment near the beginning of Richard III. But it's not common enough that the the speech is is not better known. Although certainly among among those who enjoy Shakespeare uh, actors, they they know this speech. Actors know this speech because it's, uh, well, it's just one of the greatest. I, I would put this, I would put this speech up there with all the greatest speeches. Uh, it just doesn't get done uh, as frequently as to be or not to be. This is Hamilton Clancy speaking Gloucester's lines from Henry the Sixth, Part Three, Act Three, Scene Two. I Edward will use women honorably. Would that he were wasted. Marrow, bones, and all, that from his loins no branch may spring to cross me from the golden time I look for. And yet between my heart's desire and me, the lustful Edward's title, period, is Clarence, Henry, and his son, young Edward, and all the unlooked-for issue of their bodies to take their rooms ere I can place myself. Gold premeditation for my purpose. But then I do the dream on sovereignty, like one who stands upon a promontory, and spies a far-off shore where he would tread, wishing his foot were equal with his eye, and chides the sea that sunders him from thence, saying he'll lay it dry to have his way. So do I wish the crown, being far off, and so do I chide the means that keeps me from it. And so I say I'll cut the causes off, flattering me with impossibilities. My eye's too quick. My heart or weans too much, unless my hands and strength could equal them. Well, say there is no kingdom then for Richard. What other pleasure can the world afford? I'll make my heaven in a lady's lap, and deck my body in gay words and ornaments, and which sweet ladies flip my words and looks. Oh, miserable thought, and more unlikely than to accomplish twenty golden crowns. My love forswore me in my mother's womb, and for I should not deal in her soft law, she did corrupt frail nature with some bribe, to shrink mine arm up like a withered shrub, to make an envious mountain on my back, where sits deformity to mock my body, to shape my legs of an unequal size, 
and disproportion me in every part like to a chaos or an unlicked bear whelp that carries no impression like the dam. And am I then a man to be beloved? Ha! Monstrous thought to harbor such a thought. And since this earth affords no joy to me but to command, to check, to orbear, such as are of a better person than myself, I'll make my heaven to dream upon the crown. And whiles I dream to account this world but hell until my misshapen trunk that carries this head be round and paled with a glorious crown. And yet I know not how to get the crown. For many lives stand between me and home. And I, like one lost in a thorny wood that rends the thorns and is rent with the thorns, seeking the way and straying from the way, not knowing how to find the open air, but toiling desperately to seek it out, torment myself to catch the English crown. And from that torment, I will free myself or hew my way out with a bloody axe. Why, I can smile and murder as well as I smile and cry content to that which grieves my heart and wet my cheeks with artificial tears and frame my face to all occasions. I'll drown more sailors than the mermaid shall. I'll slay more gazers than the basilisk. I'll slay the orator as well as Nestor to see more slyly than Ulysses could and like a Simon take another Troy. I can add colors to the chameleon. Change shapes with Proteus to your advantages and set the murderous Machiavel to school. Can I do this and cannot get a crown? Tut. Were it farther off, I'll pluck it down. Thanks. We, I, I'm fascinated with some choices you made in the performance of it. In our line 140, it starts with, so do I wish the crown being so far off, and so I chide the means that keeps me from it, and so I say, I'll cut the causes off. You went for it on, I'll cut the causes off. Right. You really dug into that, and then later on in our line 181, on hew my way out with the bloody axe, you echoed that. Well, for me, the character is enraged, because he wants to change the situation, but he can't and he's not sure how. And that anger and that rage, uh, as we've often seen, uh, begins to burst out in individuals who are driven and, and at the same time tortured. So I actually saw them as like, I saw them as sort of mirror moments within the speech. Richard is cursed by fate. He says as much. True. He says that, uh, in fact, love, what's the line? Why love forswore me yeah, in my mother's room? She did corrupt, frail nature with some bribe to shrink mine arm up like a withered shrub. So in this case, the love that he's referring to is, is a god or a deity figure. True, yes. So Richard admits to being cursed by fate and cursed by at least one of the gods. Yeah, in his, in, 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 in his mind at least. And yet he aspires to a position that historically belonged to those who were divinely chosen to rule. Well, you were boiling it down to the, you, you were referring to the line that refers to his godliness. And whenever we come to the plays, even though, of course, the deification of the king and those sort of things in Shakespeare's time was all very important, I always try to ask ourselves questions about what makes these people that we, these characters, people that we recognize, in our own day-to-day experience. Well, I think one of the things you, you just touched on, which is that idea of the pursuit of, the pursuit of, 
yeah. uh, ambition, the pursuit of a girl, the pursuit of a crown, the pursuit of a yep. job. Whatever you do that, it's, you're hardwired to pursue. And then you get yeah. it, and you're like, um, okay, now I got it. <laughs> right. So I think that's a hugely human moment. Yeah, there's a there's a very there's a there's a difference between pursuit and administration, and occasionally you find people who have who have some gift for both. But uh, it's uh, often the case that the the hungriest do did not prove to be the most able. And the human reality of ambition is is a fairly complicated reality to socially deal with, because whenever you're in the midst of someone who's a climber who wants to step over you in order to get more for themselves. There's a way in which we all kind of like, you know, think of that as, as sort of slightly impolite. You know, it's the, the guy who wants to take the ball at the playground all the time because I want it. And, um, and it's, it's slightly uncomfortable. You know, there's this idea that we're sort of brought up with, you know, to be fair. You know, let's just be fair. But in point of fact, many, many, many decisions get made in our world that are not very fair and that people who choose to seize power actually get it. What's an interesting, interesting thing to consider sir, that you see these figures running for president right now, right? Mm. Really oftentimes I think to myself, I don't know if a fellow like Trump has actually really sat down and thought about what it would be like if he really was president. I mean, I think it would be actually a lot more of a drag than running for president because there'd be a lot of things you have to do. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And there inevitably the, the, the after story of ambition, right. And it's so beautifully told in Richard the third is a guy. I mean, actually once he gets the crown, he doesn't really know he, he's clumsy. He doesn't really know how to administer you know, he alienates everybody and, and winds up getting himself, you know, whacked to death on the battlefield uh, pretty shortly after he took the crown. I mean, it's a, it, it's interesting because it's a historical, it's based in historical fact, but um, it has a sort of a, you know, a fable-like resonance to it, you know, as if he gets his due, um, which I don't know always happens in the case of ambition. No, they're restless. As is the case, of course, with Richard. And this is the speech where we first glimpse his naked ambition. Right. He takes, in, this, in the course of the speech, he takes us on quite a journey to get there, doesn't yeah. he? He does descend into self-doubt. No, certainly. That's he, where, he's, he, where he starts. He, right? doesn't, well, he doesn't even, he wants to really, he really paints the picture, and it's well painted within uh, Henry VI Part Three that you may not be paying attention to me now, but you watch, I'm coming. And so he takes the audience on a ride in which he really clearly paints how unlikely it is that he will succeed. And then once he paints the picture of how unlikely it is that he'll succeed, he also paints a picture of how there isn't any other choice for him but to pursue this. Because all other options for happiness are really not available to him. So since the, the, the memorable lies, since this earth affords no joy, but to command, to check, to orbear such as are a better person than myself, that's a beautiful line because he's not only referring to the, the actual, the, the person, the body, the human body that other people have, but he doesn't, but also the fact that people think that they're better than he is. They're overlooking him. Right. And 
one of the reasons that, you know, just yesterday I was, I was speaking with my son and he said a line to me, he said, he was in middle school and he said, yeah, nobody takes me seriously. Right. And, uh, you know, we, I think it's, it's a very universal feeling when you're in your early teens or somewhere during those years that you don't feel like anybody's taking you seriously, you know, and, uh, that leads often to, um, some very, you know, complex and intense feelings. Um, but that's exactly where Richard is. He feels not taken seriously by anyone. And actually, he wants to let everybody know that you might not be taking me seriously at all. But <laughs> I love that you compare Richard III to a petulant teenager. <laughs> oh, my God. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you, if you don't have a 12-year-old in your house, they're not dissimilar. Right. <laughs> I mean, driven, single-minded, and, and once they once they get their resolve, look out. You know. So yeah, Richard. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I, I did do that, and and not only a petulant teenager, but but my own son as well, which uh, <laughs> speak, speak volumes for my own personal circumstance. But um, <laughs> I'm hoping I make it out of the teenage years. Hamilton Clancy, thank you so much for for this speech and uh, for giving us so much to think about in an election year. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Good luck with State of Shakespeare. You guys are great. Well, good thank luck with so Shakespeare in the parking lot. You guys are fantastic as well, so thanks a lot. Peace, guys. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening.